Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. This is Series 16, Episode 21. It is just a little after 8 o'clock in the UK on Wednesday, 26th of May, 2021. Up in London tonight, I accept the producer is Tim Gray. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. And hello, all of you. A um, little bit of a different start to the show tonight. We'll get to the parish notices and all of that in a wee while. Um, but, Tim, you have the news tonight and the top story tonight from the world of motorsport. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And there's only one place to start, and that's with the sad death at the age of 81 of former FIA president Max Mosley on Sunday. Uh, a man who undertook a huge amount of work uh, making the sport safer and better. Uh, John, I believe you have a guest on the phone to talk about that. Yes, uh, and a controversial character, of course, Max, and uh, not only making the sport safer, but also uh, making our lives safer. Andrew Marriott uh, joins us. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Uh, tonight, you knew Max well. When did you first meet him, Andrew? Well, definitely when I was still working for Motoring News, John, uh, reporting uh, races. And, uh, you know, he started his racing in 1966 in a U2. Um, and uh, I bumped into him then and, um, and, and followed him. Now, the first season he had him racing, he was a young barrister at that time. Um, you know, he came into it really because his wife, Jean, had got some free tickets to go to Silverstone, um, actually the international trophy meeting, because her, her um, employer was a, was a flag marshal. That's how it all started. So Max was taken uh, by his wife, basically, to, uh, to this Silverstone meeting. And that's when he fell up in love with motor racing. And then he knew he had to go racing. He, he had a horse Healy Sprite at the time. Uh, so he, he had a U2 that he bought secondhand out of, I suppose, the pages of Autosport back then. And the first season, you know, the first ever race, of course, he was lapped. As a lot of people tell that tale. And then the following year, being a very clever and astute guy, he bought a new U2, a Mark 6B, got a very good engine in it and um, raced to the championship there against a guy called Howard Heary. And that's when I got to know him really well. Um, we, we struck up a friendship and you know, he's just three or four years older than me. And, you know, um, I was also quite interested in the law. So I like to talk to him about being a young barrister and so on. So that's how I, I first met him. Um, but things escalated pretty quickly from mm. there, John. Yeah, he, he actually, 
in by 68, he'd won a few races between 66, 67 and, and, and 68. Uh, and in 68, he partnered with uh, another driver, Chris Lambert, to form the yep. London Racing Team. That was, was that European Formula 2, Andrew? Uh, yes, it was. Now, strangely enough, his first ever Formula 2 race was at Crystal Palace <laughs> in the U2. He just took the mudguards off it and raced it because he was near the back of the field, practised the car. The following day was a Sunday, and the Crystal Palace main race was on a Monday. He went to Brands Hatch, took, put the mudguards back on the U2, won the race, broke the lap record, and then the next day was back at Crystal Palace, obviously running at the back of the field with a, with a front-engine car against all, all the rear-engine cars. But that's actually decided him that he wanted to go proper Formula 2 mm. racing. And I was very much the architect of the programme because I came up with the name London Racing Team. I was all ma- already managing um, young Chris Lambert at that time. So it, it was decided it was a good idea to put the two of them together in a pair of BT 23Cs. Oh. I call it the London Racing Team because back then there was 40-odd people with these sort of cars trying to get entries. And we thought it gave it a bit of gravitas calling it the the London Racing Team. Um, so just let me tell you about his first ever proper Formula 2 race. It was the Hockenheim race where Jim Clark was ah, killed. 1968. So, and then, yeah, and then his next race at Thruxton, he had a huge shunt and flew over the top of uh, Jean-Louis Schlesser. Uh, uh, no, um, the, the, the father of Schlesser. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a pretty sort of desperate start to his racing. And then two or three meetings on, his, his erstwhile teammate, because by then Max had decided to run his car with Frank Williams and we continued uh, running the... Uh, running the Lambert car separately then. But uh, Chris Lambert was killed at Zandvoort. So, mm. you know, what a start to his main, you know, so-called professional racing career. Now, he, I have to say, John, he wasn't that bad. You know, people say, oh, he was slow. That year at the Monza uh, Lotteria race, there was 40 starters. There were 40, actually 40 people tried to qualify. Only 20 got in. Max got in and he finished eighth. So, you know, he, that, that sort of gives you a general idea. And later in the season, he went what we... Oh, he probably still called pot hunting. He went to a Silverstone meeting and there was um, a guy in the big Kingcraft, which was a sort of Formula 5000 type car. He beat him on the very last lap and broke the outright lap record for the Silverstone club circuit. So, you see, he was a, he was a pretty good peddler. But then, um, obviously, with these tragedies with, with Clark and, and Lambert and so on, um, he was wondering about his career. For the second year, we, we got a, a Lotus 59. We got rid of the Brabham. We got a Lotus 59. Um, his cousin, Henrietta Guinness, obviously the Guinness family, um, got terribly excited when she saw him win a race in the U2. So she, she put quite a lot of budget in. So we got this Lotus 59, but then there was a crash in qualifying, I don't know, in practice. And a very interesting little story, actually. When he first, the first day he ever drove that car, he went to Brands Hatch to his test session and he came in and said to me, Who's that bloke in that Formula Ford car? He's going really quickly. And the bloke pulled in and he got out of his car. He had jeans on. It was James Hunt. Of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> yeah, what was he like then uh, when you first met him? Because as you see, when you met him in the mid-60s, he was a barrister. It's not what he trained for. He, he, he graduated in physics uh, and well, uh, and decided to go I- into the law. But what was he like as, as a man in his he, he's, he's young 20s? By then, he'd... he'd Denounced his father's politics. He'd, uh, he, he was a territorial uh, army, a parachute regiment uh, in the territorial yep, yep. army. Uh, and, and motor racing was a, a place where his name didn't actually hold 
the same sort of um, reputation as it did in, in the rest of the world. Well, what was he like as an individual back then? Uh, well, firstly, you're absolutely correct with that. And racing didn't seem to care. He did tell me that, he, you know, politics was his first love. And I think, you know, he, he said his father could have been prime minister if he hadn't kept changing sides. Um, and he, I think he had huge aspirations to, to be a politician. But he told me once, um, with my name, I've, I've no chance of ever being being successful as a, as a British politician. But as a man, I mean, John, probably the most intelligent, most eloquent guy I've ever met. Mm. Now, we talk a little bit later about his time as president of the FIA, and I didn't agree with quite a lot of things he did. But, you know, as a conversationalist, um, a, 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 as a man who could really, you know, argue that black was white, there was, there was, there's nobody better than him. My, my old flatmate, uh, Mike Dudson, a well-known journalist, uh, nicknamed him the silver tongue one. But he was very humorous. You know, he could he could do imitations. Um, I mean, just a, a really clever, clever guy. And I think, you know, if University Challenge had been around in, in, in those days, he would have been captain of, of one of the Oxford teams. I forgot which college he went to now. And they would have won it, you know, and he would have, he, he was that sort of guy. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why he was so successful, of course. But, yeah, hugely entertaining so eloquent uh, uh, and a, a brilliant barrister brain as well. Um, just, he was, a, he was at Christchurch, that. actually, and secretary oh, yeah. of the Oxford <laughs> Union, which kind of underlines uh, yeah. what, what you're seeing there, Andrew. Yeah, I think he tried to be the president of the Oxford Union, but wasn't successful um, because of his name. And it was there, of course, he met Robin Hurd, with whom he subsequently founded March Engineering. No, I... You were you still uh, um, in touch with him in, in those days? March Engineering, um, Robin Hurd, Alan Reese, uh, Graham Corker, and Max Mosley. The the name being based, roughly speaking, on their yeah. on their initials. Um, that was a, an exciting time. So that's what late nineteen sixty nine, early nineteen seventy. That comes about. Were you still in yeah. touch with them then? Yeah, you know, I'm turning around my office, John, and I'm looking at a framed press release which i typed out announcing march building formula one cars so i've, I've got it framed it's got an original march badge in and it's got a, a march badge which was rejected actually <laughs> um so it's, it's that's a nice memento yeah i launched the the company for them um and it was there you know when when ronnie peterson drove the first march at, uh, at cadwell park in, in late 1969 and then in 70 you know we had the big press conference at at uh, Silverstone, where Mario Andretti, Andy Granitelli, Jackie Stewart, Ken Tyrrell, wow. everyone was there. Uh, and uh, I handled all that, which was, you know, a fun thing to do. I don't think it was paid very much money to do it, but, you know, it was great. And I always kept in touch with, with Max subsequently. And, in fact, just uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a bit less, I think, I did have a very nice lunch with him to discuss some old times, but actually finished up talking about politics most of the, <laughs> most of the lunch. <laughs> people, for, people forget what a, what an extraordinary start that March had as a brand-new constructor. Jackie Stewart, yeah. albeit in a customer car, but run by Tyrrell, um, yeah. I, I think, what, um, third or, or, or fourth race um, it's in Spain, um, they, they won that. March Correct. finished yeah. third in the championship in 1970. They were selling cars as quick as they could shell them out to, to customers in, in lower formula as well. Yeah, well, I, I got the job. Um, I left Motoring News, actually, to get the job of running the uh, the factory Formula 3 team, which is a, there's a, 
well, you know, I've got the book coming. There's a whole story, a chapter about that. But, um, you know, they were building Formula 3 cars, Formula 2 cars, and the great wide 707 Can-Am car. I mean, it's mm. extraordinary effort. And, you know, we reflect now that uh, only Alan Reese of, of the four founders is alive because Graham Coker died quite young. And, of course, Robin died a couple of years ago. Uh, and now Max. So, uh, you know, just all things must pass, I suppose, as George Harrison said. Before we move on to his time in Formula One with the Constructors Association and the FIA, yeah. I've got to mention, and, and I'm, I know you were involved with this, um, the P34, um, the, the the Williams with six wheels had been tremendously uh, interesting. And, and I read that, that Max was very... Um, instrumental in pushing forward the six-wheeled march, which, of course, had the four wheels at the back, whereas but, yeah. whereas the the Tyrrell, sorry, had the uh, four wheels uh, at at the front, the, P, the P34. So the March 2-4-0, um, which never raced, but actually did, in the long term, make the money. Is that true? Do you know, that is a story I can't substantiate. But knowing Max, it almost certainly did. I mean, there was all sorts of deals going on all the time, John. I mean, there was talk about doing a massive deal with the, with the copper trading board or whatever it's called to use copper for the brakes rather than, than wow. cast iron. You know, they, they never stop wheeling and dealing all the time. Um, but, you know, that was what kept them afloat. And then, of course, they had, you know, March went on not only, as you say, to win those Formula One races, but, you know, the the big push came in IndyCar racing yeah. where they were hugely successful for uh, a lot of time. But I did just want to reflect back on one story, John, about uh, those Formula 2 days and the London racing team. We, we set off to go to some racetrack, and I honestly can't remember where it was. But anyway, we got word somehow that the race car transporter had broken down. And I think the guy called John Redgrave, I think, was the chief mechanic. So off we set to to find this transporter because um, the mechanics hadn't got enough money to get it repaired. So we found it somewhere sort of north of Paris and arranged all that. And by now it was late and we weren't going to get to, I think, where it was Zambo or wherever. So Max said, oh, let's go and stay with my parents. So off we motored down to the Orsay and these big, yes. we stopped at these big metal gates and then we went to this chateau and there waiting on the doorstep, um, although... She didn't know we were coming, of course, in those days, no mobile phones, was Lady Diana Mosley. Um, Diana, Diana Mitford, Mitford as was, yes. Mitford sisters. And she was absolutely charming. And in we went. And then Sir Oswald came in. And, I mean, it, the chat, you know, you think maybe we had some political chat, but it, it was all about how Max was racing. And uh, Sir Oswald thought Max was a bit silly to waste his time racing. He was mm. better off just concentrating on, on a barrister. But he was, you know... He was quite a figure, was was uh, Sir Oswald. You know, he was quite big with the plain red hair. Yeah. And it's something I'm never going to, to, to forget. And in the morning, um, Lady Lady Mosley, Diana, she cooked us breakfast and or we had the croissant, whatever it was, because obviously France, and off we trotted, you know, you know, off to the circuit. But, you know, it's one of the things in your life that, you you know, totally unexpected, didn't know it was going to happen that morning when we woke up, mm. and you get to meet uh, Sir Oswald Mosley and, and Diana Mitford. So, you know, that's, that's a big memory, of course. Uh, so you were still very close. By the way, when I was saying that the 2-4-0, the, the six-wheeler, yeah. made money for them, there was, there was rumours that the... The scale extric slot car was their biggest selling uh, model ever, and yeah. th- there was some you're, royalties. You're, um, 
you're flicking the switch in my brain now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Because Ian Schechter was involved with yes, it. And he Jody was. Brother and yes. so on. And just on that, you know, there's a there's a historic meeting at Brands Hatch this weekend. And the the latest um, Tyrrell um, 4.2 uh, version, 4.4 yeah. four front wheel version, um, somebody's built built a sort of copy of one. Oh, really? Another Pay 34? Hmm. Yeah, and it's racing this weekend at Brands Hatch. Very interesting. Let's yeah. let's move on because I know you yeah. kept in touch with him. Um, yeah. uh, such, I mean, we could we could spend hours talking about Max yeah. and his and his uh, achievements. Um, obviously, there was the Feast of Forker Wars. He uh, represented Forker in that. Ultimately, that led to um, the presidency of, of first Feast and then FIA for an unprecedented yeah. five terms now you did mention a few things he was he was an interesting character he formed a big bond with bernie eccleston those two ruled the sport the top of the sport with um you know an an iron glove in in some Mm. respect and they and they formed a very good partnership and you often see the times when i always think think of max would often throw something out there that was totally and utterly um would be not acceptable, totally unacceptable, and then he would back down again. And you think to yourself afterwards, everybody thinks, "Well, yeah, get in, we've won, we've won." And then you think afterwards, you think, "Perfect uh, art of the deal." As is, you know, we were talking about his brain there. It looks like he's compromised, but did he get what he wanted in the first place? Because he's thrown some <laughs> chum in the water that was so outrageous that he knew it would never get, and he backs on down. But what he did do, and nobody can deny this, Andrew, is safety. Safety on the track, which, I mean, he went through those years. Piers Courage, who was another one of his former yep. teammates as well, he'd lost him early on in the, the late 1960s, early on in his motorsport career. Um he definitely affected safety on the track and moved that as well, probably more importantly to you and I and, and everybody else who drives a car, into what became Euro NCAP and therefore benefited everybody. That was that was a huge achievement for him. Absolutely right. And I, if you quite recently he did an autobiography, I think about three or four years ago, and he talks a lot about that. I think he was probably prouder of that than he was of all his achievements in racing. Mm. Um, yes, made a massive difference to the safety of the road car, but also very instrumental, of course, in the in the safety of racing. It was a sort of unusual partnership, you know, Bernie, the sort of second-hand car dealer, and this... I mean, Max Mosley basically was a toff, you know. If you look at, you know, his mother was, was mixed with royalty and so on. Some of the people he met as a kid, just amazing. Um, so an unlikely duo, really. But you have to ask, was it right that the commercial and sporting side of the sport was so hand in glove? Yes. I, you know, I, I do take issue a, a bit with that. You know, the, the, they, they had all the bases covered. And, of course, during that FISA Folk War you mentioned, they played some magnificent tricks on Balestra and people did. like that, which are in the book. But, I mean, they really, they, they really were clever. And, strange enough, Max told me that he had a grudging respect for Balestra. Yeah. Um, he said he wasn't a really bad guy. Um, it was just a bit behind the times, but he said he was a clever guy, and, and on a personal level, you know, he, he thought he thought he was, you know, great great fun. So, president of of what was then FISA and then four consecutive terms yeah. uh, as as FIA president, replaced by Jean Todt, 
um, yes. in uh, before he, he stood again in 2009, I think it was. Um, yeah. Uh, what will be? Um, I, I'm going to leave with, with you at least. I'm going to I'm going to leave his, his his private life and some of the other things he was involved with, which were I, I think were actually quite important as well in a very positive way, particularly the way he took on Murdoch and News Corp. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to leave that though for for a, a, another time. Um. What do you think will be his legacy as far as motorsport? This is a motorsport programme. So what do you think his legacy will be in, in terms of motorsport and 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 where he left the sport in 2009 as as opposed to where he, he took it over? Yes, well, I think whenever you talk about this, you have to talk about him and Bernie together, really. Yes. And they t- took the sport, you know, it, so it was a totally international operation you know huge tv success obviously bernie did most of the deals but i'm sure max was advising him a lot of the time so you know i think you know his his lasting legacy is that he transformed formula one and maybe not the rest of motorsport but he's transformed formula one into you know a magnificent uh, show it is today mm-hmm. i mean uh, obviously there have been problems that you remember he lost some of the battles he lost the battle um with with the, with the um, the money cap, um, you know, because he was trying to to uh, get get all the budgets capped, and, and he didn't succeed in that. But yes, I mean, just just a huge figure in in motorsport from from the um, you know, golden period of, of, of Formula mm. One to the current very successful days we have now. Yeah, I, I, he, I mean, he, his speciality as a as a barrister, I think, was was trademarks and, and that sort of thing. So he had exactly the right sort of background to be able to work with Bernie to elicit control, which yeah, you can argue both sides of that one between, you know, what's, particularly with what's happened since. But we're still, in some ways, benefiting from some of the things he put in. Let's not forget in, what was it, 07 or 08? It was, it was, it was Max Morsley who proposed the 10-year engine freeze with the with yeah. the curse system which ultimately i suppose we're, we're still in that kind of era but people forget that he, he gives stability and whether this was uh law of unintended consequences but in terms of the financial side of things he gave financial stability to the engine manufacturers and suppliers at least by by, by putting that engine freeze on john i think you've just chosen the perfect word stability Yes, if if you think back on his career in Formula One, that's what he did. He brought stability to to a sport which is sometimes has its big ups and downs. But um, no, uh, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, and I mean, ironics in some respects that um, a man who could be so divisive in terms of how people thought of him brought so much stability to the top of our sport. Just a final word, uh, Andrew. I know that you had lunch with him just before lockdown. What kind of spirits was he in there? He was a fighter. He fought on all different uh, areas. He uh, fought for himself, undoubtedly, but also for a lot of other people as well, which, as I say, we'll, we'll leave to one side with, with you. Um what frame of mind was he in when you when you last saw him? Oh, excellent! And you know, when you meet somebody like that that you've known for all those years, you lot talk about people and what's happened to them <laughs> and and where they're gone. But um, one of his best stories was um, I told you right at the beginning that you know he had an Austin Healey Sprite as one of his first road cars, and he swapped it for a Lotus Elan, and 
just a couple of weeks before um, I had lunch with him, he'd spotted that lotus of lamb for sale. And the bloke who was selling it obviously didn't know it had been, it was uh, owned by uh, by Max. And Max, of course, didn't want to uh, try and buy it himself <laughs> because he thought the price would go up a lot. So, you know, he still watched the pennies a bit and he managed to, to buy that lamb back. And he was absolutely delighted with it. And he hadn't driven it very recently. And it, you know, he was full of that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like... All of us, Johnny, was an enthusiast for motorsport, going back to that day when he had the, the free tickets um, and went along with his wife. Of course, you know, Gene was with him right to the end of this uh, this journey. They were married for 60-odd years. Mm. And given what you've said, um, appropriate, I think, that we heard the news about Max Mosley's death earlier this week from Bernie Eccleston, his long-time um, cohort at the top of Formula One. Andrew, thanks for the memories. Uh, sad day for motorsport, I think, uh, when Max Mosley passed away. A, a, a true giant in so many uh, ways in, in our sport. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, sadly, you get to my age and, and we, we start ticking them off, don't we? Yeah, that we do, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye now. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew Murray joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, is with us. You worked in Formula One in the, the Max Mosley yeah. era. Um, I, Ollie Gavin was saying, yeah, listen, everybody will have their own, have their own uh, m- memories and uh, their own reasons for liking him or disliking him. Um, Ollie Gavin was saying earlier on this week that he just made him laugh all the time. Annie Bradshaw, who I defer to ultimately in all things um, Formula One, when I don't know the people concerned. I met met Max Mosley once, but she said he was a funny guy, had a wicked sense of humour, liked to play a lot of uh, practical jokes. Did you get to meet him, Nick? Yeah, I mean, but, but interestingly, um, yeah, I spoke to him a couple of times, interviewed him a couple of times, but it was always about the, the modern whatever was going on in 2000 yeah. wherever it was, it wasn't, none of these, they don't stand out like my interaction with Bernie where every single one is etched on my brain. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, a character who's, who lived so long and did so much. And I think, you know, people all have their own opinions. I, I think I would think the number of people who liked him was significantly less than the number of people who respected him, to be honest. I think his that's methods. A nice, were, that's an interesting distinction. That yeah, his methods were very harsh. He was unbelievably intelligent. He didn't always use that intelligence in a particularly pleasant way, as you absolutely said. He had he ran rings around um, most of the uh, the teams, and he got what he wanted. I think there were elements, you know, and without him and Bernie, then F1 wouldn't be where it was. But then you have the element where there was some huge power abuses going on by those two. The, yep. the selling of the rights for 100 years for 360 million. That's 3.6 million a year for I'd the rights that. to F1. I'd have when that. I think they've just paid, is it $14 million for the, for the rights for Holland? Sorry, the Netherlands, sorry. So, you know, it's, it's that, that, that's just, you know, in any other word, that is corrupt. But, you know, it, it happened. Um, we 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 made a big thing about his uh, battle against the tabloid press, yeah. uh, which was the Daily Mail. Um, he he subsequently uh, took up a uh, a battle against uh, some would say press freedoms, uh, some would say press invasions uh, on on your privacy. 
Um, yep. But one thing I found out was that he, he, he bankrolled a lot of people against News Corp and Murdoch in the disgraceful um, phone hacking uh, yep. affairs uh, and didn't make a fuss about that at the time. Um, so, so a character that had lots of light and shade, I suppose you would say. I, I, th- I think, yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be a, there's a documentary coming out, a film documentary coming out, which is, um, whilst he authorised it in a way during his life, it is, it is a genuine warts and all. Uh. Um, so that's coming out in a few months' time. Uh, and I think it make a very, very interesting viewing. I think, yeah, the, the, the fact is, that when, you, when you look at what is his lasting legacy, and his lasting legacy is road safety. That's yeah. his lasting legacy, NCAP and, and everything else. And, and all the, the Is Jean Todd still trying to live up to that? I think Jean... Because Euro NCAP, I mentioned with Andy there a few minutes let's ago. Let's be honest about this. If we sat, and we have done, and discussed Max Mosley's presidency of the FIA over, you know, was it... 12, 13 years compared to the 12, 13 years of Jean Tot, you can see how little Jean's actually done or deliberately been hands off. How do you well, want to write yeah, it fair compared point. to what, what Max has done? Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Max, the press freedom thing was interesting. It was, it was, it was all spurned from, from, from one word, the, the one word in the, in yes. the expose, yeah. um, which he, up, we've done never, about. he yeah. never, he never denied it happened, but he denied that point, which was particularly pertinent given his father's issues. And I think he certainly with the phone hacking, he was he he was on the he was on the right side of the argument there as well. And and just an incredibly complex guy who just achieved and failed so much <laughs> over the years. But the sport would be where it is without him. I know everyone gives it to Bernie, but it needed and, and a lot of people, you know, genuinely wouldn't be alive without him. So the net effect on the road and the track. mostly is very positive. Yeah. Um all right, we'll have you back in a minute to talk about uh, team by team. It is midweek motorsport. We didn't start the show normally. Um, so let's go back to where we would have been about half an hour ago. And Tim Gray up in London on a packed programme. We have quite a lot still to come. We have all the usual features, mm. uh, including uh, contributions from Nick Damon and Shay Adam. Yep. Uh, Nick Damon's team by team guide to the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, we have there was a, more excitement in the Ahoy Arena. In fairness, in Rotterdam, it's called Rotterdam Ahoy. Yeah, uh, Ahoy. We have acceleration mark. Uh, there is uh, some uh, sports car news with new man at the top of LMEM. Which, uh, if oh, everything interview. works, if, if everything works well, that will be the first. I, I believe the first broadcast interview. He's done some. Round tables. This is Frederic Lecrian, who is the CEO of LMEM and ALMEM, the effectively the logistics and organisational partners for the ACO and the FIA for the WEC ELMS Asian Le Mans series, and all the things that go around that. He'll join us just after nine o'clock. And coming um, up after me... ten o'clock tonight, we have a oh, special yes, program yes. for you. Yes. Yes, because I don't get to go to bed early tonight because it's the Indianapolis 500 at the weekend. Yes, I mean, we could have had this preview any night. You didn't have to stay on tonight to do it. but you I don't mind. You will not be alone staying on late because Shay Adam Probably will be staying well. with you. And Jeremy yep. Shaw will be joining from uh, California. Yes, which is, which is why it works nicely at 10 o'clock UK time. Perfect so we'll look him. down to 33 entries uh, for... 
Indy at the weekend, the Indy 500 at the weekend. Let and me do a little bit of... talk about the uh, ones that didn't make it. Uh, yeah, all right. Yes, all right. Yeah, okay, we will. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Uh, yes. Um, the Sim Racing Bar Steward listening live tonight while getting the camera gear together for a CSCC meeting at Donington. Uh, Police Collective support the grassroots motorsport clubs by going and spectating. Yes, very good point. Uh, he also says, um, will... Oh, this is a great idea. Will Nick be doing his team-by-team uh, team comparing his F1 team to a Eurovision entry or country? Nick, start working on that right now. Write it down. Uh, Brody is preparing the car for track time at Cadwell tomorrow uh, and is uh, listening live tonight. I forgot last week um, to play... Uh, Blue Fiend and the uh, his car noise to try and spur um, Brody on uh, to getting uh, getting the car uh, sorted out, and um, I wonder if I can. There we go. This is a nine four four turbo, Brody and um, Blue Fiend. That's a bit tapped to me, that. Yeah, okay. But it's running. So, Brody, that's what you've got to do, mate. You've got to get that that transaxle car running uh, as well. At Specutainment, if you want to get in touch with us, of course. Otter FR, EFA because of World Otter Day. <laughs> Enjoying the uh, podcast tomorrow by watching the young owls climb up the up and down the tree branches. Uh do you know what a, a small otter is called, Nick? Any? Um, it's not an otterlet. Is it not? I was going to say no. leveret, but that's a baby hair. No. It's a kit. It's a kit, isn't it? No. I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave you with. I was a big fan of otters um, when I was when I was younger. Right, turn lover. Enjoy my mum's company this evening. We'll catch up on the podcast. RTL. Hope your mum's well. Uh, um, pups. Sorry. They're pups. They're kittens, mm. Nick. Pup, baby otters called pups or kittens. Yeah, and where do they live? What's their home called? No, oh, it's a halt. It's a halt, and their poo <sighs> is sprint. Um, uh, Elliot, that's, that. that's that's right on the motor entry trend, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, look, Otto was with Otto Fr was 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 in. Um, small otter is called cute because they're adorable uh, Elliot Lindemood listening live for the first time in a while got a new computer breaking it in uh, Stephen Lloyd listening with a nice Devel or two oh nice bit of beer very good uh, Blue Fiend tonight servicing a McCann during the, the show spark plug replacement underwear can't wait to hear Nick Damon's commentary on Mercedes wheel nuts that wheel nuts were a thing over the weekend. Sent a lot mm. of wheel nuts were. They really were. No apologies for absence, but we'll have an eye on the footy. And if the red men score, I may have a momentary loss of, of conversation. You're in trouble at the moment, Matthew. Looking forward to finding out what uh, Nick thought was an exciting Sunday Grand Prix. There's no, there's no sarcasm emoji, is there? There really needs to be. Alex Orkin, no airfares, enjoying the hospitality and pasta supper on route home from Brum uh, with Chris. Excellent. Uh, Doug Amner, new Bluetooth speaker. Even more clarity listening in tonight. Hello, Doug. Uh, nice to hear that I'll you're tonight. Which is what? Nothing with Bluetooth is going to increase your clarity. Oh, I don't know. Impressed. 
my horribly compressed. Well, but it's all compressed to start with. My my uh, my Bose Bluetooth is really nice. Hello to Patrick Drone, to Sam Pierce, listening with a couple of glasses. Uh, whilst uh, about to start going through probably too many photos that I took last weekend for the first time uh, for too long. Hello to Sarah Rigby, who's joined us. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's mentioned Andrew's obituary for Max Mosley, um, lacking the um, disgraceful tabloid comments, of course. Yes, well, you can trust Andrew Marriott to be uh, brutally honest, but... Uh, but on point as well. Marcel Duke is saving the podcast for Friday. I'm going to mow the lawn for the first time this month. Did that this afternoon. Did that this afternoon. I was going to do a no more more mate. It's good for the hedgehogs, apparently. Kevin Payne um, snagging a weekend ticket for Brands. He's going to try and be there. Uh, Hello to Sam Pierce and to to Ian McCarthy as well. uh, what really matters t- uh, to the FIA's road safety because it's the biggest element killing people uh, between 15 and 24, says Scooby D22B. Uh, hello to Brody, uh, who is now back underneath the 944. Now, there's something missing from that. Uh, there's no, what, it appears to me, no, no prop shaft on that at the moment. Oh, hang on, let me have another look at that. I might be wrong. That just looks so new, it's quite remarkable. Let's have a look. Oh, no, there's a bit of gearbox missing off the back end of that, but the shock absorbers look very new. Hello to Jack Martin and to Blair Forbes and to Alan Prosser and Tim. Where would you... Oh, we've got, we have got some more orbits to come tonight, by the way, but obviously we had to start with uh, Max. Where would you like to take us now in the wide world of motorsport, Tim? Uh, well, I want to take you to a country uh, with a small population uh, and a very narrow racetrack. Um, all right, uh, and McCann, uh, roy- royalty. Uh, right, okay. Isle of Butte. Uh, where where are we thinking, Nick? Well, on a normal podcast, we'd all be saying Monte Carlo. This is you, Tim, and we've been doing this for sixteen years, so it'll be somewhere like I don't know, you know, some sort of principality off the coast of Burma or something. His Royal Highness Prince William was given a masterclass in electric racing on Saturday at Knock Hill. Right, obviously. Extreme, eh, wasn't it? With Andretti United's uh, Kate Munnings. Brilliant. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, ahead of COP26, which takes place in Glasgow later this year, are visiting innovative projects in Scotland during High Commissioner's Week, uh, which aim to positively turn the dial on climate emergency, as well as undertaking... More understanding more about the series electrification, environment and equality background, the visit provided an opportunity for Prince William to take a look at the hydrogen fuel cell created in collaboration with the British company AFC Energy, which charges its electric race fleet using zero emission energy. Uh, we, we didn't get any quotes from him, unfortunately, which was... Well, from Prince William? Yes. Um, but Alejandro Agag said uh, it was a great honour mm. for Extreme Meter host Prince William at Knock Hill. Amazing. That's a great quote. Uh, what do the following drivers have in common, Nick? Okay, go on. Michael Schumacher. Go on. Yes. Jarno Trulli. Yes. Didier Peroni. 
Jean-Pierre Jarrier, yes. and Charles yes. Leclerc. Have they all bought out red flags at Monaco? No. Uh, I mean, they probably have, but no. Uh, um, I don't know then, tell me. They've all had pole positions and not started the race from pole position at Monaco. Ah, uh, yes, of course, Michael had his uh, had a, a three or five pace penalty from a misdemeanor in the previous race, didn't he? Well, that that was um, uh, a different uh, incident to the one I was thinking of. Um, Are you thinking of the parking at Rascan? I'm thinking of France 1996, uh, where um, where he had to pole and didn't uh, start from pole, which was uh, um, when he blew his engine on the formation lap. The, vers- the oh, version okay. uh, at 2006 in Monaco, he had actually not had pole because he was sent to the back for the uh, qualifying incident. Even though he set the fastest yeah, time in qualifying, he had the fastest time. Yes, again, yes, I see what you're saying. Yes, that is that is a thing to have in common that you don't want to have, isn't it? If if we were talking about people who had set the fastest time in qualifying but not started from pole, then the list is a lot longer because you've got Lewis Hamilton on it, you've got Fernando Alonso on it, you've got Juan Pablo Montoya on it, mm-hmm. you've got Kimi Räikkönen on on it. Uh, it's happened a bit. It happens a lot. Um, and you've also got a lot of people who uh, crash on the formation lap. Alan Prost, Ayrton Senna, Damon Hill, David Coulthard, David Coulthard again, David Coulthard again, uh, Theo Farber. <laughs> uh, yes, it's all these crazy things that happen. Yes. Uh, it's time for Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the Monaco Grand Prix. Yes, action-packed. And it means that we start with Ferrari. Yes, so um, Charles Leclerc uh, looked fast all weekend. Ferrari looked really fast all weekend, which was surprising everybody. Uh, Leclerc had the thing on pole after the first half of final section of qualifying, and on his fast, fast lap, he threw it into the wall, did massive amount of damage to the right-hand side of the car. Ferrari checked that side of the car. They checked it really heavily. They gave it a really big check, and it was fine. And then when he drove the grid, the left-hand side broke, and they seemed surprised because they hadn't checked the left-hand side. And I can't help thinking that was a bit weird when you're allowed to replace everything. Why they didn't just replace the left hand side as well made no sense. So, yeah, Charles blew it by having the accident. Then Ferrari blew it as well um, by uh, not checking things properly. Um, as for Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz qualified uh, well in uh, third. Uh, yes, he qualified in fourth, which was net third, of course, once uh, his teammate had gone and drove around very effectively, making up a place when the car in front of him. Uh, had a problem with its pit stop because let's be honest, I'm not going to say anybody barring one person and made up a place by actually overtaking somebody. So uh, uh, Carlos Sainz started effectively third, finished effectively second because a bad luck of somebody else and drove very well. Uh, and actually, move on to Mercedes. Yes, not, a, not okay. Mercedes had an absolutely terrible weekend. Um, how much was Mercedes? How much was Lewis having an off day? Certainly on Sunday, Saturday. I'm not sure he had an off day on Sunday, but his Saturday wasn't great. Now, whether that was because of issues Mercedes had, the only mitigating factor against that was Valtteri Bottas wasn't having the same the same problems in qualifying. Though in the race, like whatever was working on the car, which wasn't working for Lewis, manifested itself as very heavy front tire wear, um, which was slowing him. And then he dropped off after being very close to Max. Start the race, he dropped off quite quickly towards the pit stop. He came in for the pit stop, and tire wear wasn't the problem. The problem was the tire and the wheel wouldn't come off. Um, the pit stoppery of 
Mercedes has always been uh, certainly behind that of Red Bull, and it's become more and more obvious that they are much more prone to issues and disasters in the pit lane. Uh, and it's an area they're going to really need to tighten up. It seems a bit of bad luck. The effectively the gun went in the wrong angle. These are very light aluminium nuts. It machined the uh, the end off, and it actually couldn't get it off, and had to chisel it off back at the factory. So very unlucky for Valtteri. He was almost certainly would have come second because so, that was the position he's in when he came into the pits. So they need to tighten up procedures, but not wheel nuts. Well, they need to untighten the wheel nuts. Uh, yeah, where where I mean, is um, that wheel now? The, uh, probably, I was thinking Brackley, I think, being being attacked with a chisel. Still on the um, car, sure got it back. apparently. Still on the car. Well, it's off the car by now. I'm sure they've got it back in the race bay by now. They, drive, they, they can drive those trucks vertically back through Europe. Uh, and, and the cars don't have a 10-day quarantine. So, yeah, that'll be knocked off. Um, Lewis Hamilton, out of sorts on Saturday. Whether it was a car, whether it was him, I don't know. And on Sunday, really couldn't do anything. Um, six, one, was it, was it a, a bad... I think it probably was a bad strategy call by Mercedes, but they weren't really having a great weekend. Uh, to call him in before Gasly, yeah, with a warm-up, the problem Mercedes has in the cars, it just wasn't able to get past. Moaned a lot on the radio, which I I don't know why everyone's thinking him moaning on the radio is a big thing. It's That's what people do. That's how they, uh, you know, oh, he's a moaner. No, he's talking to his team. That's how they, oddly, that's how they motivate each other. That's how they work through their issues and that's why it's worked so well for the past seven years and so he wasn't very happy and uh just dropped off the back of uh, gasly and unfortunately fettle as well and then he dropped and luckily there was a space opened up and he was able to claim the uh, fastest of that point but the net effect is he's no longer leave the championship so a bad weekend for mercedes but not the end of the world and we've had these bad weekends before and what happens after the bad weekends tim uh monday they normally win uh, let's move on to Haas, who normally don't. Yes, Haas, who actually, you know, just just to, to link into a previous thing, Haas absolutely are the uh, the equivalent of the UK in the in the uh, Eurovision Song Contest. In that, whenever they they come last, the people who keep bothered to show up. Um, Mick Schumacher had a much more much less convincing weekend uh, over Thursday and Saturday with a couple of accidents, doing a lot of damage, and not being able to take part in qualifying. Mazapan actually. Interestingly, in the most difficult circuit to stay on the circuit, uh, managed to do it all weekend, actually. Um, Mick Schumacher went up the inside of Mazapan on lap one, so he, he, he had a, a little moral victory, but then he had a fuel pickup issue, and the team asked Mazapan to get past Mick. So Mick's still doing slightly better than Mazapan, but Mazapan less awful than usual. Mazapan was faster than Schumacher in every session. Obviously, in qualifying, uh, Schumacher didn't take part. But even so, all the three practice sessions, Mazapan was faster. No, no, he was less awful. But it'll be, it'll be, let's see how it happens at Baku. But um, I still think it's, uh, he's, he's out of his depth at the moment. But, yeah, might change. On the subject of less awful, Yuki Tsunoda. Well, yeah, apart from that, he didn't get himself out of Q1. Um, and he had yeah. a big accident in was it practice, pre-practice two weeks wrote off the car or half the car, missed half of the three one. He missed half of one session. He ended up um, effectively stuck because that's what happened in uh, Monaco. He qualified badly and he didn't overtake anybody the entire time. And he ended, I think he, after the first lap, he was basically, he just got past the one car who retired, which is Valtteri Bottas and finished 16th. Uh, Pierre Gasly um, was showing his backside to Lewis Hamilton for, well, all of the 78 laps. And which must be very annoying for Lewis, but you know, the Alpha Tauri is not by any means a bad car, and the Mercedes even was going perfectly, but wouldn't be able to get past at Monaco because you don't overtake at Monaco. And I'm, again, 
very surprised why people were surprised by that fact. Oh, there's no overtaking. Right? Yeah, why? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, some good points for Alpha Tauri. Uh, Williams. Can I say, you know, they, they qualified as well as they could. George Russell made Q2. He had qualified Nicholas Latifi. They started the race in 14th and 15th approximately, and they finished in 14th and 15th after, after overtaking no one. They might have swapped during the pit stops when meeting each other, but it was, you know, at the end, Nicholas Latifi was like 1.1 seconds behind George, and that was it. They had just dust trundled around together, slowly drifting off the back of everything else. Um, yeah, nothing to report. Alpine. Yeah, Alpine, after their fantastic, you know, re- rebirth of performance in Spain, um, slipped back behind, overall behind, not only Aston Martin, but uh, also, in many ways, uh, Alfa Romeo, who were a little bit unlucky. Um, they were sandwiched. Alonso ended up 13th and Esteban Ocon 9th, so continuing the fact he's doing a little bit better than Fernando. Um, yeah, this is an outlier circuit, and the same thing applies to... to um, they say that really you just can't read anything into this. You can't read anything into Baku or Singapore because they are completely different circuits. They're much faster than those street circuits. And also, of course, way hotter. The, the, some of the issues with, with tyre warm-up obviously aren't going to happen at Singapore where it's, you know, 28 degrees anyway, uh, or Baku as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, our people probably just say, OK, this is hope, hopefully this is the blip and Spain wasn't the blip. And we'll find out in Baku in 10 days' time. And next it is McLaren. Yeah, um, Danny Rick is having uh, an absolute nightmare. He was, uh, despite being slightly ahead of um, Lando in Spain, which was in many ways down to a qualifying problem that Lando had, uh, the newly recontracted Mr. Norris once again absolutely wiped the floor with Danny, including lapping him, which is not necessarily purely on pace because if you get behind cars again he can't overtake it he'll end up running the pace of slower cars but Danny didn't qualify well he didn't understand why he was so slow he's got a major crisis of confidence um but you know Lando's doing a great job now the only thing you begin to wonder because we all know Danny Ricciardo is actually quite good are we in a situation where Lando Norris is outperforming the car and actually he's putting it places it shouldn't be is it just all underperformance by Ricciardo or is you know you know we've got one in third and one in 12, is it a sixth place car? And we've got an overperformance by Lando and an underperformance by, um, by Danny. We, you know, it does seem more that way. Definitely um, underperformance by Danny, haven't we? Definitely, but how it just seems really weird that it's so bad. Because um, you know, he was in great form leaving uh, Alpine, Renault and Alpine. It was when he left Renault that became Alpine last year. He's not very good on the streets as well, Nick. And he is, this, is, this is his probably his favorite circuit he's why he's won he should have won he's always been great there so it's really really strange hence my feeling sudden that perhaps Lando's doing even better than we think he is uh much later than normal in this uh feature Alfa Romeo new floor for the Alfa and it was certainly working very very well uh only a point to show for Antonio Giovinazzi who also managed to get himself into Q3. There's some genuine pace now from Alfa Romeo, which is going to stand him in good stead to to pick up the pieces of the points. Now, it's it, realistic. They're, they're, they're almost certainly in a no-man's land here, where they're off the back of the midfield, but but comfortably ahead of both Williams and Haas. So they'll be snapping around that back end, looking to pick up a couple of points when other people um, drop the ball. So, um, yeah, and Antonio Giovinazzi, who I obviously completely wrote off as pointless at the beginning of the year, is actually putting together a pretty good season. Whether at this point... The interesting thing is, though, 
you think he's putting together his best season by country mile and putting together a season where you want to see more of him, this is probably going to end up being his last season if the Alfa Romeo sponsorship goes away, as is the irony. Huge irony, yes, because <laughs> we all said he shouldn't have had that drive for this year. And I've got to say, I'm slightly eating my hat as well on that. I'm not convinced so that uh, Alfa Romeo are that far off the pace of Alpine, or indeed the next team we're going to talk about, Aston Martin. Well, Aston might have had a terrible time, but they, it all came good uh, around the streets of Monaco, which is a bit odd, really, because it was, again, supposed to be not particularly good for low rake. And we and we saw a little bit of a resurgence of Sebastian Vettel. It's always nice when, when great drivers have actually find a bit of form again. Uh, Vettel, uh, I think, qualified eighth. He, he ran off, started the race behind uh, Lewis, and uh, the master stroke they pulled was just going longer than either Lewis or Pierre. A couple of laps, the used but carefully looked after tyres, which a couple of drivers did this, uh, were able to give him instant pace. He had the pace to actually effectively jump Lewis and come out side by side with Pierre Gasly and had a fantastic fight up the hill. Apparently, I, I was watching a replay of Lance Stroll going over curb at the time as television television on Monte Carlo dropped the ball again. Um but yeah, Fettel, great performance. Uh, Lance Stroll made a weird alternate strategy work really, really well by running exceptionally long on the hard tyre and then having enough t- and then having enough of a gap to, I think it's Ocon who was behind him, to just stop for the softs and still stay in, in the eighth place he was in. So two scoring points, good, very good strategy by, by, by um, Aston Martin. I think they can absolutely pat themselves on the back because I think they, have, they can sit around and say they completely maximise their result this weekend. So uh, well done to Aston Martin because we have been critical of them so let's say nice things may do well mm-hmm. and finally uh red bull max verstappen didn't put a wheel wrong all weekend and won the race it's not a race that's going to go down as his greatest drive his most fantastic drive his most amazing drive but he did it and he takes he's taken the lead of the championship and he completely deserves it it was but he was not you know people go oh it's now it's no he just did he just did what you're supposed to do as a top line f1 drive when you're given a gift which was leclerc um not taking part you snap that up and you win the race and excellent work by max um Perez is in fourth, and he's very lucky because he loused up qualifying. Yeah. Uh, but then Red Bull again pulled out some excellent strategy in just letting him run long after he'd effectively been running behind Fettel and therefore saving his tyres. And we know Perez is very, very uh, good on tyres, and he ran a number of laps more at a pace above what in free air that Lewis and Pierre, well, Lewis could run, or Pierre was prepared to run or able to run, and leapfrogged and locked to fourth. So, you know. Perez, you know, it's not. It's a good race result. Cause it's worked out by the teams. Not a great performance again. So it's still worrying yeah. moving forward. But you know, Red Bull are walking away from um, a great result in, in in Monte Carlo. Absolutely helped by the fact their major rivals had a complete nightmare. Where's the next uh, race, Nick? Baku. <laughs> and that's Is that in how we sing that now? Two weeks' time. Is that right? It's in 10 days' time, and we all are bated, bated breath to see there's going to be uh, a protest about flexing. Bendy wings. Yeah, bendy. But as we, we, that's where they'll work, because it's the longest straight of the, of the year. We will hear more from Nick Damon in the second hour of the programme when he comes back to talk about World Superbikes. Won't that be oh. interesting? But next it we will. move on to the <laughs> World <laughs> Rally Championship. Well, I've and, got some tweets. Yes, which we're going to do before Shay. Elvin uh, Evans okay. won uh, the Vodafone Rally de Portugal on Sunday afternoon to claim his fourth career victory in the FIA World Rally Championship. He put behind him the disappointment of defeat by fractions of a second the previous round in 
Croatia to climb to second in the Drivers' Championship, sitting two points behind Toyota's teammate Sebastian Ogier. Uh, Evans, driving a Yaris World Rally car, grabbed top spot from Tanak when the Estonian retired his Honda on Saturday with a broken Honda? suspension. Hyundai. Not Honda. I-20. Yes. That's yes, what I you said. said Honda. You said Honda. I just have an interesting pronunciation of Hyundai. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't pronounce either the Y or the I. Uh, mm. Broken suspension. Uh, that means that uh, Sebastian Ogier has 79 points, Elvin Evans has 77 points, and trailing in a very distant third with 57 points, Thierry Neuville. Bit of an odd one for the two Fords. Both had throttle problems, which I presume isn't really throttle problems now. It's potentiometer problems. Uh, Gus Greensmith and Adrian Formor. Adrian had a throttle that was stuck wide open all the time. And Chris uh, Greenstruth had completely the opposite. Couldn't get the damn thing to rev. So um, they're going to have to look at that. Sixth, uh, despite those issues. Yes, though. yes. <laughs> control, alt, delete uh, and various things. Poor Gus still hasn't won a, uh, a WRC stage. And he got so close at the weekend. Um, sadly got a puncture when he was looking good. He had a good rally though. Bert Hendrickson has tweeted at Speculative how can Mercedes have problems bringing heat in their tyres? Nobody else had that. And then Monaco, you have corner after corner. Yes, but it's it's not high energy corners and it's a, it's not a, a high grip surface. But and that's we know Mercedes are good on the medium medium, the one right in the middle. That's what they're. The, the best. Uh, hello to Jack Martin, very uh, much needed mid, uh, midweek motorsport this morning uh, with his coffee uh, for the early morning wake up on the other side of the world. Uh, Blair Forbes listening for the first time ever live, pouring over auto trader ads for Newcar. Blair, what are you after? Come on, tell us. We want to know. Marcus Miller making the point that the E-Pre at Monaco was much better than the Formula One. A lot of that down to the television production. Uh, Formula E still had their Normal production guys who did the whole season no, and F1 didn't. didn't uh, yes, they did. Formula E was done by ACM uh, people. It's uh, not what I was told. Absolutely not what I was told. And they had some of their own cameras there as well in different places. Um, it certainly wasn't the same director as the weekend. If it was, then. Nah. <laughs> AC- but isn't ACM different from MTV, Monaco TV? Because uh, the, mon- t- the sorry, ACM TM- guys. TMC that do it, yes, for the ACM. Yeah. Right, okay. Everything um, that happens in Monaco is uh, TMC for ACM. We've got a couple of minutes before half time and uh, plenty still to come in the second half. Shall we have a bit of US news, Tim? We certainly shall. And uh, we're going to get a little bit political. As if we don't already. Uh, how's that? Uh, by making America great again. Right. Uh, and let's welcome Shay Adam. Hello. Uh, so, tell us about the American Rescue Plan, Shay. The American Rescue Plan? Was uh, was that the name for the race this past weekend? Uh, it wasn't, no. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's Biden's uh, plan to give money to... President Biden. President Biden's plan to give uh, money to things that need money. Um uh. Infrastructure. I am sadly ill-informed on this for Mo- an American. Mostly infrastructure. Mostly infrastructure. Trillion, billion, so in, in North Carolina, the infrastructure projects they're looking at are Charlotte Motor Speedway and North Wilkesboro. Huh. Gets, gets my vote. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. Which I believe I mean, we're going to share seventeen million apart, dollars. But that's a small so amount. Yeah, it, that's not a, a rather large number. How much did Daytona spend? Um, <laughs> literally twice that. Um, how much did uh, How much did Daytona spend on rebuilding the front straight grandstand? Uh, Four hundred million yes. was the answer to that. Daytona <laughs> Rising. Yes, and that was done at a, a very good cost as well. They they were very clever about how they they did that. Very clever. Indeed. Uh, going, going to stay in some... uh, North Carolina. Good. Excellent. Um, okay. To talk about the beginner box stock class of uh, last night's events at Millbridge Speedway. Which, I don't know uh, anything you'll have about nothing this. About, no, nothing about this. No. But uh, the driver, very young driver, starting on pole position, was Brexton Bush. Is he oh. the Bushy McBush face? He is son of two-time Cup Series champion Kyle Bush. Twice. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise he was old enough to reach uh, throttle reach and brake pedals. pedals. Uh, <laughs> he, didn't yeah. win, he didn't win the race, though. Uh, he was uh, beaten into second place by Wyatt Miller. <laughs> um, beaten into second place. Yes, <laughs> beaten down. Uh <laughs> Wyatt Miller is the son of Kelly Earnhardt Miller and grandson of seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Dale Earnhardt. Wow. Well, that's a series to watch. Oh, my Isn't goodness. It? He's the third, second and third generation drivers in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. And fourth and fourth yeah, but generation we've been driver. talking about Seb Priu for how long, well, John? Well, it's a fair point well made. Yeah. It's a fair point well made. It, Any more just for, a, for sure? uh, Wyatt Miller, by the way, was uh, so small that the uh, trophy was higher than he was. Um, This was just a support race, the main event, which included two crapples, Carson and Caden. All right. It's been a long time since we've talked about the crapples, hasn't it? What happened to that that career? He uh, retired, I believe. Travis? Travis Crapple, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it was a staple on this show for a while. Finally, from uh, Shay, before we go into still to come, uh, there was NASCAR racing at Cota and it rained a lot. Oh, did it ever? It rained a lot. It rained so much that they had to actually stop the race. Um, it's been argued that they stopped it a bit too late. There were some very scary moments of hydroplaning, including Kurt Busch hydroplaning going into turn 11 narrowly missing his brother, going through the gravel, into the grass, bringing it back onto the racing surface. It was a a good moment, but ultimately it ended up with Chase Elliott winning the race and getting a landmark victory for Hendricks, which is now tied with Petty Enterprises for the most number of wins in the Cup Series. Next win will break the record, so all four of the drivers are fighting over that. But also, I don't know if you guys saw today, Chase Elliott's spotter has been suspended indefinitely mm. from NASCAR. Elliott on with some legal issues, I'll say, uh, taking place also in North Carolina, so bringing that back full circle. But um, that's something a little bit interesting because DeHaunt was actually the guy in his ear this weekend at Coda, helping him stay with a clear visibility out the windshield. Midweek Motorsport, where we're only halfway. 
half time change ends. Here we go, just after nine o'clock, and still to come on Midweek Motorsport Series 16, Episode 21. Shea will be back with us to uh, talk about some more uh, American racing news. Nick Damon will be back with bikes as we look back to World Superbikes uh, and forward to Superbikes and to MotoGP again this weekend. It's a very busy... I've no idea how I'm going to watch it all. Plus, your submissions, questions and points arising on At Specutainment. Next, our big interview, the CEO of the WEC, ELMS and Asian Le Mans series joins us for his first broadcast interview He's exclusive to Midweek, Mid-week Motorsport. Motorsport on RS1. Just after nine o'clock in the UK and very happy to welcome to Midweek Motorsport, Frederick Lecrian, the man at the head of LMEM. Hello, good evening. Welcome to the sports car community. Tell me a little bit about the challenge that you that you have, because let's be honest, you've stepped into this job. Uh, you and John Doonan both, actually, have stepped into two of the most important jobs that there are in sports car racing. I know that you're both massive enthusiasts for it, but your timing in some way could, could not have been worse. <laughs> you're right. I think I'm, I'm joining the this uh, super endurance, I mean, sport car family at the right time. I mean, the future is going to be very exciting. Of course, the challenge is very big, but I'm not alone. I have a super team with me, with fantastic people, good experience. I mean, and that's uh, so, no, I'm very, very happy to start this new new mission. I, I, I guess you know that I'm not coming from sport car. I'm coming from off-road racing, you know, cross-country rallies, which is a very good school because, I mean, that uh, I was... Uh, uh, deputy CEO of the Dakar Rally during seven years. And then I created my own rally, which uh, the name is the Silk Wear Rally. And uh, once again, it's a very good school because you learn so many things about you know, logistics and so on. So, no, very happy to, 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 to have this new mission. And, uh, of course, I do realize that it's, it's, it's big. Rallying? It's just endurance racing over more days and on rougher ground, isn't it? So a lot of you, the you are si- right. yeah. So a lot of the precepts of what we're talking about are very similar in the mindset of the competitors that you'll have to deal with. Now, even before you were with mm-hmm. ASO, you were with Eurosport, so you, you've dealt with circuits, with promoters, and, and in Dakar, perhaps even with nation states. So being able to get the calendar together and, and such like difficult. But at least you were able to draw on some of your previous experience, Frederick. No, you're you you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, th- there is, there are a lot of similar points with uh, cross country rallies in terms of uh, I would say that the profile of the competitors are, are the same. I mean, we are talking about endurance racing and also you know some um, um, manufacturer, I mean uh, official teams and and also privates privates. So I'm used to deal with. Um, with this um, profile of competitors, and you're right. I mean, my my first experience in motorsport wa- wa- was on the track. Uh, I started in Eurosport uh, in '99, and uh, uh, with some people in Eurosport, we created Eurosport events. And at the time, we launched the Super Racing Weekend. Super Racing Weekend was a format of ten weekends uh, during the seasons, and inside the weekend, we had the GTFIA of SRO. 
and uh, all the, the Renault support races, the Formula Renault V6 at the time, the Clio Cup, uh, and uh, of course the European Touring Car Championship, uh, who became who became the World Touring Car Championship. So I'm used to deal with uh, with um, uh, race uh, on circuit, but uh, once again, I think that. It's good to arrive with some, I would say, I'm not sure if my English is correct, but some new new eyes, fresh eyes. Fresh eyes. Absolutely yes. right, Frederick. Absolutely fresh. And, and, and you know what? Down through the years, particularly when you look at endurance racing, Le Mans, which we know is the centrepiece, it's always set the tone for uh, innovation, endurance from the times when the cars were not reliable and now we expect reliability 100% so I think you're spot on always look to, to something new um, and it was the same on the Dakar Harry you know. Exactly Absolutely right. The Absolutely the same. Exciting yeah. times for Dakar, by the way, with Audi bringing an electric car uh, to that. But yes. they're, they're also, yes. they're coming back with Porsche to the WEC. Now, I know that's a, yes. a, a few years yes. away. Exciting times for us in 2023, but exciting times right now. That spa race that I did the commentary on was unbelievable. I, I don't think I took a full breath for whole six hours, Frederick. So there's, do you agree there's plenty for us to look forward to as sports car fans uh, with uh, the WEC to- right I now? Totally, yeah, I totally agree with you. And, 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 you know, a lot of people, I mean, uh, told me, oh, you will see in 2023 is going to be amazing. But I said, oh, it's, it's now it's amazing. I mean, of course, it's going to be better and better. But, I mean, the, the race in Spa was was was. Terrific. I mean, a lot of actions. And and right now, I think that uh, we are discovering the, the, the hypercar with uh, Toyota. And uh, of course, just the beginning. But 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 the gap between the, the, the categories uh, are not too big. The race are exciting, you know, and people are very excited to be here. And um, I strongly believe that uh, next year, next year, we, we're going to have Peugeot with us. We don't know. Now, I mean, now when they will arrive exactly, and uh, I think we're gonna, we should have a nice surprise with our outdoor car manufacturer for next year. Uh, but of course, I mean that we year after year until 2003, and I, I just want to remind that 2000 and 2023, sorry, uh, we're gonna celebrate the 100 years of Le Mans. So I. Uh, I'm sure that both for the World Championship and for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, we're going to have the most exciting lineup of the history. And given, I think you've already said to the press, so we're not breaking any news here, but you've said that, you know, between yourselves and the technical side of things, and I know you're not technical, and for goodness sake, I do not want, (laughs) nobody wants the job of technical at the moment with all the new innovation coming in. But the balance between the classes, broadly speaking for this season, I think you've already said, it's going to stay the same. So we're going to get more races like Spa at Portimao for the eight hours. We've got Glickenhaus coming in. So tune in. Now, don't wait till 2023. Is that the, the, the basic message, Frederick? Yeah, um, so you're right. Uh, for Portimo, we are going to welcome Glickenhaus for the first time. Um, I, I just want to, to say something which is important to me and, and uh, I, I want to avoid any misunderstanding. Uh, the hypercar will be the queen category. There is no doubt about that. I mean, we will have the hypercar, 
and then the LMP2, and of course, all the GT. Uh, but this is something which is clear for us. We mean, I mean, we are not crazy. What we can see right now is that the Toyota cars, I mean, are, are, are new, are new, and uh, I'm sure they will, they, will, they will make some progress in terms of performance. Uh, of course, I'm sure of that. Uh, but it's true that the gap between the hypercar and the LMP2, it, it's what we expected on simulation. And this is what we want. Uh, of course, I mean, that if we go back to Le Mans, uh, we'll talk about something like uh, 10 seconds for laps. So, I mean, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's okay. And w- w- once again, once again, this is just the beginning of a new category. We need to observe and we need to take the right decision if it is necessary once we'll get some facts and, 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 and data. But I, we are quite happy at the moment. I, I like uh, the, the situation that we're in at the moment as a fan, as a long-time fan. And I understand the business side of it as well for particularly the LMP2 teams in the WEC. They are private teams. They're not manufacturer-funded teams. So lots of different changes down through the year would be difficult and expensive for them. And clearly you're thinking about them long, medium and longer term as well. And, and that's, for me, that's a, a perfect, perfect solution. I, I, I do agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want what we want. I, I, we'll come back to WEC, but we can't talk mm-hmm. to you without talking about the, the ELMS... Um, Asian Le Mans series going great guns at the moment. Now, they are privateer teams. We've seen record numbers, Frederick, of, of entries in both of those mm. championships in difficult mm. times, particularly for the, for the Asian Le Mans series at the start of the year. And mm. that, that really clever and elegant, I think I described it at the time, elegant solution mm. of having those mm. four races. Why mm. do you mm. think that given everything else that's going on, the private teams in the ELMS and the Asian Le Mans series, why do you think that endurance racing is still so relevant and so interesting to them? Mm-hmm. That's a very, very good question. You know, when I started my, uh, my new mission, it was beginning of January, and uh, we were closing the entries, more or less, on all the championship. And I was so surprised about the amount of competitors. Really, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very sincere. I mean, I, I say, wow, how it's possible? I mean, after this terrible year, I mean, and we have more than 42 or 43 cars on ELMS, 45 uh, on the WEC. This is incredible, incredible um, amount of, of competitors. I, I do believe that um, uh, the, the, the WEC is very attractive. Uh, we pay a lot of ten- attention on the, on the media side, uh, on television. Uh, we try to do our best to make uh, visible this championship. Um, the spirit also of the race is still there, and the dream of making Le Mans is, is still alive. I mean, that, I mean uh, for me, it's clear. Maybe before I started this new job, I did not realize how oh, Le Mans is a dream for all the racers. It's incredible. And, you know, coming back to the Dakar Rally, it's almost the same. Yes. This is a dream. Yes. I mean, this is a must-do in your life. If you like motor racing, you have to do some events like Indianapolis, Le Mans, I mean, Dakar Rally. Uh, this is really a part of the history. 
And it's not just about winning either. It's just about getting to the end. And that is a very similar yeah, uh, yeah. state of mind for Le Mans. I always say everyone has a different goal at Le Mans. Yes, of course, they all want to win. And the fact that Absolutely. teams, particularly. Absolutely. But if, if I was racing there or you were racing there, then just to get to the end. Frankly, for me, just driving out of the pits and going under the Dunlop Bridge, my life would be complete if I got to do that <laughs> in, in a racing The same for me. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. It's about different goals. And I think also, Frederick, if I may say, I think that people still relate. The fans can still relate to say, "Okay, here is Tracy Crone or here is Ben Keating or here is any other of the gentleman drivers. Yes, Mm -hmm. they have some cash behind them, but they represent all of us and all of our dreams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. And, you know, on the ELMS um, uh, uh, in, 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 in the Red Bull ring, I was discussing with some drivers and, and you know, I discussed with some drivers and, and they really told me, I mean, here it's a family. I mean, anyway, we are all talking about the championship, about Le Mans. We are sharing some, you know, and, and, and by the way, the level of the, the competition is amazing. Right. It's incredible. Yes, we are talking about gentleman drivers, but they have, incredible lever they are very very fast very quick in terms of of this season then where and bear we have to bear in mind dear listeners frederick's only been in post since just after this the start of of the year where do you think your biggest challenges have been in these in these early months of of this new role for you frederick oh you know i i, I used to deal with um let's say crazy situation and and, and uh, I think I bring something at the beginning of the year to to maintain quite uh, atmosphere in this difficult period, and I wanted to be sure that we can deliver all the races. That that was the key the key point. I mean that we um, with the the pandemic, uh, uh, the goal was to ensure to the competitors to the teams that we will deliver all the races. And first we have taken very difficult decision, but it was a good decision to postpone Le Mans at the end of August. Uh, and we did that because we want to welcome some fans. Oh, there is many, there are many championships, but the way it was important to have all the races. It is the same for the LMS. And until now, everything is safe, I would say. We are going to have all the races. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I try to maintain uh, um, a very close relationship with, uh, with Japan, with the Fuji Speedway, because right now the situation is not so clear. And we will see with the Olympics how it's going to be. I'm quite optimistic, but I would say this is the only point of the season that we can still have a small doubt right now. Right, right. now. Yes. Um, it's a moving Sorry. target. For, it is a moving target for yes, everybody. Yes. There are no, there's no, there's nothing certain anymore nowadays. We have, we have a wall planner that we, we now write everything in pencil. Everything has to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. If you find one, one man who is able to tell you, I'm sure one hundred percent of this. He's a liar. I'm sorry. It's impossible. Totally. It's totally. impossible. Now, and that brings us on to Le Mans. Le Mans in August. Great. Uh, we had a great event at Le Mans last year in September. Uh, there's a bit of history behind that as well. Uh, Pierre Fion, the president of, of the ACO, has said it's uh, unthinkable to have another week close, another behind closed doors, uh, mm-hmm. Le Mans. Um, 
when do we think there could be a, a decision about spectators, how many spectators, tickets, or is that part of this whole have to wait and see? Because ultimately, it's not your decision. It's not even Pierre's decision. There's governments involved here. Yeah, you're right. Government decision. But right now, I mean, the situation is is um, is good. Uh, we are quite optimistic to welcome uh, around 50,000 fans. Wow. So it's it's a fantastic news. That, I mean, we, we, we must have fun with us. Yes. It's, it's, it's so important. It's, of course, 50,000 people is not enough, but it's better than <laughs> closed door, of course. I mentioned John Doonan earlier on, uh, president of, of IMSA. Have you had a chance to, to start to build a relationship with John? Because I know the ACO, LMEM, WEC, ELMS... All of this very closely now, probably more than in my lifetime, yeah. Frederick, particularly with LMDH yeah. coming as well. That relationship, mm. I know, is mm. still very, very important. Mm. I, I spoke with John um, for a good reason. It was his birthday, 19th of May, and he called me yesterday because it was mine. <laughs> so, no, I, 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 we really, um, we are working very, very closely with the Himsa. John Dunan is Great, he's 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 a fantastic man, and we we have some very close relationship. Uh, what we did with the LMDH uh, is something which is very good for the sport and for the sport car family. Um, and I think that we can see with all the car manufacturer announcement that we were right. I mean that to have a car which can race from both sides of the Atlantic, this is what the manufacturer wants. So. Of course, uh, we have a lot of technical discussion. We want to be sure that the balance between uh, LMDH and LMH, LMH uh, will be perfect. And uh, I can guarantee you that it will be. I'm and, sure of that. And, and we were working very, very hard to have a very good balance between the two-wheel drive and the four-wheel drives. Yes. And uh, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that um, uh, around us, everybody, I, I say everybody, IMSA, the FIA, the ACO are working on the same direction. Yes. Chapeau to the technical and sporting regulations, guys. Because uh, you're they're... right. Yeah. Whew. Congratulations for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would, what would you like to say to the fans, Frederick, who are, are listening here, um, who are endurance fans, whether they're ELMS fans, Asian Le Mans Series fans, IMSA fans, WEC fans, Le Mans fans, even if they're just tune in for, for Le Mans once a year. What would you like to say to them right here, right now, and looking forward through the rest of this season? Yeah, I, I want to say many things. Uh, the first one is that uh, I want to say to the fans that without you, we are nothing. We are nothing. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for that, because uh, we want to maintain, this is with the spirit of Sportcar and Le Mans and, and, and the World Championship. Also, the LMS and also in the IMSA is to keep a very close relationship with you. We want to open everything for you. I mean that. And of course, the second thing I want to say, just be patient a little bit more because we are going to welcome you on the tracks very, very soon. And when we will welcome you again, we are going to make some great event for you. What I asked you what your biggest challenge was this year. What's the thing you're most looking forward to then? You've had a little time now, as we say in English, get your feet under the desk, see what's <laughs> going around you. Although, in fairness, you've probably got your feet under your desk at home because we've all been working remotely. So 
obviously you've got to build relationships even with your own team before you even we get did. outside. But what are you most looking forward to in 2021, Frederick? Um, yeah, as I told you, I mean, we, we, we still need to manage the, all the COVID aspects, but this is something which is not fun, but we have to do it. Uh, there is something which is very important to me. Uh, I want to keep uh, my head very cold. You know, we have a lot of manufacturers. We are going to join the championship. I mean, Ferrari, Porsche, Audi, Peugeot. Uh, it's going to be fantastic, you know. But I want to pay attention to the privates also. I mean, I mean, the, the gentleman drivers and the small teams, I mean, they will be with us forever. So that's something very important. I want to maintain this very close relationship. There will be a lot of people inside and outside the paddock who are giving you a little golf clap uh, for that. Manufacturers, we know, come and go. We know that they bring a lot of money. I don't, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm going to take care of them also. Of course. <laughs> Of course, and they bring the big money. They bring, uh, you know, a lot of times they bring a lot of uh, focus to the events. But there'll be a lot of people who are very happy to hear that because you're right. The history, the spirit, the ambiance of endurance racing, and it's. it's I think I, I wonder now if it's the last great sport, and Le Mans and the World Championship is the last great sport where someone with a bit of cash can go and be on the same track as as the superstars. You know, you could buy a soccer team, you could buy um, a baseball team, but you can't pull on the number nine shirt, even yeah. no matter how yeah. rich you are. But in yeah. motor racing yeah. and at Le Mans, you still can do that. I think you're, you're completely right. You have Le Mans. I think the cross-country race is the same. Yes. I mean, you can you can have a, um, a dinner close to Carlos Sainz, in the night, and you you will say to your friends that you did the same, exactly the same uh, stage that that him, the same spirit in Le Mans. And uh, I would say that uh, the only sport I think we can do that is uh, a marathon running. Yes. You know? Yeah. Maybe we we should ask the question to the fans: <laughs> Is there is any other sport like this? <laughs> Frederick, I I know how busy you are. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here. No, thank you. Thank you to you. Thank you. Thank and you. And, uh, we, yeah. we wish you all bon chance, of course, in difficult circumstances and pass on our best yeah. to all of your team for giving us such entertainment and we're looking forward to 2021 and beyond. Yeah, and I, I would like also to tell you something. Um, uh, I want to invite you on a race and we'll do a live, maybe, I don't know, in Le Castellet or Portimao. And uh, please be my guest. And I think that we, we can do something nice for everybody. That'd be lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Frederick Lecrian, the man at the head of LMEM on Midweek Motorsport. Tim Gray up in London. Which part of the motorsport world would you like to take us to next? We're going to stay in the bit we're already in because uh, Frederick mentioned uh, Glickenhaus there and they appear on the entry list for the World Endurance Championship at Portimao, uh, which is the next round of the FIA World Endurance Championship. And not only have uh, we seen them on the entry list we've seen which drivers are going to be in that car and we've seen what color that car is going to be looks like a alfa romeo tipo 33 doesn't it um with the it's another red white and black car well it's certainly red and white uh, with the the white front end there's uh, look jim 
knows uh, and loves his uh, Italian background. He loves his Italian cars. Remember, uh, he did that lovely homage to the Ferrari with his his race car um, a few years ago. And it looks good in red. Uh, they've got a very interesting rear aerofoil design with the upward pointing um, streaks on the top of uh, on the top of the top plane of the aerofoil. Which I, I don't know about you, Nick, but I've never seen anything quite like that before. I've been combing through the regulations um, to see what it says, and. Um, it's an interesting one. I've seen it on rally cars before. We, we tried it when we did the F2 cars at RML um, because they were skewing sideways. Um, you, you, don't want to, don't, you don't want that to go sideways. It, it's, a, it's a very good-looking car, though. You've got to say that about Glickenhaus. It'll have a lot of fans. Obviously, uh, it's taking the it's taking the battle to the established big boys, isn't it? So absolutely, yeah, they'll be very popular. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting how what, you know, how quick they're going to go. You know, you, you kind of feel after the massively underwhelming performance of the uh, all the hypercars in Spa. You know, you know, if the sandbags were truly tucked out, you kind of feel that a, a bespoke sports car with 750 horsepower has got a good chance of being as quick as them because it should be quicker than the uh, P2s, which they only just scraped past, didn't they? It's the first time we've heard from Frederick. It speaks first on Midweek Motorsport in um, that exclusive interview this evening. He's done a couple of round tables, as I said. First impressions, Nick? He, uh, does he sound like he, he's got the chops, as they say? Well, he's making all the right noise, isn't he? Um you know, uh, it's it's the honeymoon period, and there will be some difficult decisions to be made. Um, you know, especially when it comes to LMDH versus hypercar. Hypercar is very much uh, the ACO's baby, and LMDH is very much initially from IMSA. LMDH has had much greater uptake from manufacturers, um, and that's yes, what the ACO loves most of all. LMH so, got Ferrari. Yes, they have, but again, Ferrari. How much activation made a Ferrari spend? Yeah. Okay. No. Fair point. You know, it's it's. Don't forget. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The ACO, much as they love names, much as they love people turning through the coming through the gate, there weren't many spare. You know, as in normal Le Mans, there aren't many spare tickets anyway. So the extra tickets that Ferrari spend, yeah, who cares? But the extra money that having <laughs> Porsche hard. and Audi buying all their hospitality and paying seven pounds for each canopy is huge. The ACO. Shea Adam is with us as as well. Uh, Shea, you've been with us at Le Mans. You've heard us talking to uh, previous um, uh, previous incumbents of of that job. How does how does Frederick Lequian strike you? Uh, strikes me as pretty no nonsense, if I'm honest. Yeah. And you could hear the excitement and the enthusiasm in his voice when he was talking to me there. Yeah, I, I like him from the first impression. Definitely in that interview, you get the sense he's a race fan, but he's in this to try and make the sport better. And uh, I look forward to seeing what he can bring to the table as far as that's concerned. How how is uh, how important is it that he and John Doonan have already been talking? Uh, as I said there to, to Frederick, you know, two of the most important jobs in, you could argue, other than um, uh, other than Pierre Fion, the two in most important jobs, both being filled um, at or during this current global crisis. How important <laughs> is that they're, they're building a relationship, Shea? That is of the utmost important and, and good point on that, John. Not a desirable time to try and come into a new position, but if they are working well together, if they are people that, that get along and they can help 
process in the same direction, if you know what I mean, then that is way more important than anything else. Uh, Dave Alcock has tweeted, I'd spec your team, great interview with Monsieur Lequin. Uh, so great to hear the series in the hands of another clear sports car enthusiast here that LMS, ELMS and WEC are in good hands. Your thoughts, please, about that uh, going forward. I could have spoken to Frederick for ages, but um, we have he has time um, requirements, of course, to, to think about. We'll get him on again uh, in a wee while and there'll be lots more opportunities and uh, we'll try and get some listener questions as well but we're going to stay with WEC uh, now uh, Tim uh, with some news about that Porty Marietta race uh, yes because uh, we talked about the clicking house uh, and my next question is and the drivers for which car because there the are some changes aren't there the glicking uh, house we're talking about the glicking house Sure. it's Westy it Briscoe is. And Dumas. Yes. Yeah, very good. That's a formidable lineup. Uh, three drivers. You might say, why would you have three drivers? But it's three drivers because it's an eight-hour uh, race at uh, Portimao. Um, it's not the only new are... entry to the WEC for Portimao, though, is it? Is it not? No. Oh, we have Go a, on, then. Uh, an addition to the GTE AM class. Oh. Okay, I missed. I must have missed that. Fire away. This is the Kessel Racing Ferrari. Right. With, Who's in that uh, then? Uh, well, it has uh, Michael Jensen. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And David Fuminelli. Right. And Takeshi Kimura as their bronze. Yes, because you have to have a uh, a bronzed, and uh, you can. In fact, you can only have one pro driver in the. The arm category. All right, that's interesting. Uh, uh, they th- are just using this as a warm-up to the uh, 24 hours because obviously they got an entry to that by finishing second at uh, in the LMS last season. And that's the same three drivers that are at Le Mans. Am I correct in it assuming is. that? Yes. Okay. Good. She's starting her Le Mans book already. Yes. Oh, I did that a couple months ago, John. Yeah, I thought I, <laughs> I, I thought you would. I thought you. And that you would. means that uh, GTM is the biggest class uh, at uh, Portimao with fourteen inter- of them. It's interesting, Nick, isn't it? That um, whilst GT Le Mans, you know, we know we're losing that from from IMSA, but GT Le Mans and particularly GT Le Mans Am, in fact, actually GT. Le Mans arm is still seems so very relevant. I saw some interesting comments from Stefan Rattel. Um, <laughs> one of the few times that Stefan and I have been on the same page. I, I've, you know, he doesn't want GT3 to end up going to Le Mans. Certainly not in the the current uh, yeah, in, in the current setup. John, hmm? that's a very different reason. Uh, you ha- you have a engineering doubt about gt3 well um, spending and he as has well. a and he doesn't want to end up being having his current premier position in gt3 being usurped um but and which, having his manufacturer money siphoned off that's let's be honest about stefan it's about the cash it's not about any purity well, but but ultimately my point is leading into that sorry i've tangentially sent you off there I fired you off into orbit um <laughs> the, the uh, my point is that gt uh, GT Le Mans arm is still very popular. And I I, I think even if the ACO took away GTE Pro, there's still an opportunity for GTE arm to continue, isn't there? 
Well, there is, and they have a uh, they have a ready-made um, formula which would fit in in these pace between GTE AM and yeah. uh, P2. It's called P3, but whether they'll ever do that is another question. Mm. Fair, fair point. Well, well made. Because the thing is, don't forget the. It's a very interesting point because the key thing about GTLM was it poured leather manufacturers in. Well, those manufacturers now are all migrated at MD8. So, do you need another manufacturer-focused class? Yeah, but do you want to lose all those, you know, whatever it is, 20 cars? No, no the AMs. Stay with the AMs. Yeah, and, and, le- say, and leave. Uh, just, pro- freeze just freeze pro- it. Yeah. Just freeze it. Just freeze the homologation. They don't need to replace it. with like a, They don't need to do which what IMSA is doing, which is uh, in, in the shorthand, which is GT3 Pro, effectively, because yeah. they don't need to, because they've got all the pro teams now migrated to MDH. That's all the activation. I know you keep talking about activation cash, but you always follow the money in motorsport. Some so point they'll run they out have of a cars, choice. though, Nick. Well, it might, it might, you know what? It might go three class. It's a very good point, Tim. It might well go three class. But if if the manufacturers are still making money by selling parts and shells and engines and other no, bits I, and, GT, and drivers to yeah. GT uh, Le Mans, GT carries on, yeah, carries exactly. on for another five years. Homologate what you've got for five years, and have a three class Le Mans because you'll have so many entries in DH and P2. You won't need a four. Well, you easily make up what, the six, seven. Uh, pros you've got at the moment. Uh, and, and also, there'll be some of those LMDH, uh, LMH, sorry. Uh, Andrew Cotton keeps telling me to start calling it global prototype, and I think he's absolutely right. Global prototype, <laughs> top top <laughs> yeah. of the hill. Some of those manufacturers won't sell customer cars. Ferrari won't sell customer cars, I don't think. Um, I, I I think they'll run it yeah, very tight. No, not, not with hypercars. I, I, think, I don't think hypercars, it's unlikely hypercars, proper hypercars with hybrid system will get sold. Yeah, um, I think Persia will sell hypercars. Obviously, Glickenhaus, which is a pure engine, will do. Yeah. and the LMDHs will affect their business model. Yeah, but the, but then there's still a lot of opportunity for somebody like Ferrari to sell bits and pieces to their private teams in GTE, uh, as it stands right now. A couple of other driver changes. Uh, team well, there's that one you in particular in uh, GTE AM, which is uh, Rio Harianto being replaced by uh, Dominique oh. Bastien. Why is that? I thought he was here for the for the whole season. Uh, um, getting ready for Le Mans. Well, maybe they're going to put uh, Dominic Bastian in the car for Le Mans. Mm, don't think so. He's only 75. Uh, He's still a young man. <laughs> Keep saying that. You make me feel better. Uh, driver changes in other categories. Uh, we have Ollie Webb... Uh, coming in he missed spa because uh, he had a clashing race um, where's so he jumping he into joins the arts lava team in their Ligier gsp 17 alongside mira knopka uh, and tbc uh, and oh, tbc, well TBC. is uh, also in another car he's in the real team racing oracle 07 gibson uh, replacing like duval Am I right, Shane, in thinking? I'm just checking the dates here. Um, yeah. There's a clash between this WEC race and the next IMSA race, isn't there, on Belle Isle? Uh, the date being the second weekend of June? Yeah, 11th of June, yes. Correct. Yeah, 11th yep, correct. onwards. And, and that's why um, both Ranger Van de Zanda and Philippe Albuquerque are most upset that they have to give up their full-season effort in the WEC to run full-season IMSA. Yeah. Okay. And they'll be uh, replaced by anyone but Shay to answer um, this one? Anyone but Shay? 
Come on, John. Nick. Uh, let Shay answer it. But I know that Shay, Shay knows the answer. Well, if she can't well, remember what chance of we got. Great. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, we have a uh, Scott and a Frenchman. Right, DL. Swissman. Right, DL. No. Oh, no, he's probably busy as well, isn't he? Uh, Paul Deresta? Paul Deresta, yes. Replaces Phil <laughs> Calvert-Kirk. And Swiss. Uh, uh, Swiss. Jordan Hershey, he's Swiss. Marcel Fesler. No. Younger. Retired. Younger. Oh, Younger just tell Swiss. us. Just tell us. Louis de la Traz. Oh, oh, I did know that. I did that. know that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a very long day, and I've mowed the lawn. That's and all, we did all talk about that on the show two weeks Last... ago, possibly. Yes, two weeks ago. Well, Tim, I can't remember where I go into the kitchen. Never mind, you know what happened two weeks ago. Let's let's be let's be honest. Can we just quickly remind each other that she is quickly dashing to another. Uh, location because she's going to be back with us at 10 o'clock uh, joining uh, Jeremy Shaw and me as we look through the Indy 500 grid uh, so that comes up straight after midweek motorsports and Tim what else do you have for I have us? another sports car story oh excellent um, for uh, the weekend ahead of uh, Wet Portimao uh, right. it's the Nürburgring 24 hours yes oh. With a, and they've announced this week that they are allowing spectators, uh, but not wow. not anybody from the UK, obviously. No. Uh, some people from the UK could go. Not now. Only they, yes. only they go two weeks in advance. Oh, just yes, just you have to go two weeks in advance. <laughs> no, you um. don't have to quarantine from the UK if you have proof of both uh, doses of the vaccine. That's not oh, true. That is true. I'm afraid. I've, I've read the information. Today, so if you've France is quarantining us as well now, by the way. If you've been vaccinated, you do not need uh, to quarantine to go to Germany. Uh, but ten thousand people will be allowed to uh, go to the Nurburgring twenty-four hours in the uh, stadium section only. So around the Grosse Preisstrecke, um, not around oh, the north. So no axe banging against the guardrail. I, wait, I do miss that. I do miss that. Uh, uh, no. Director Walter Herning said, we're very pleased that we can welcome visitors on site this year. The fact that the ADAC Total 24-hour race is the first major sporting event in the Rhineland Palatinate to welcome a noteworthy number of visitors in the stands is the result of our intensive efforts together with the Nürburgring. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, go with the boss here. And the German Interior Ministry advice, um, which was updated again today, says there are no exemptions for anybody, regardless of uh, vaccination status, for this for people from the UK. Um, so I'm I'm going with that for the moment until uh, until that changes. Um, so please, if you're thinking of going to Germany, check the Foreign Office. If you're from the UK. Check the uh, the Foreign Office part of the UK Gov website and check the German Interior Ministry. I know drivers who set off early uh, because of this. I know drivers who are flying from, uh, who aren't coming up to the UK because of this. Um, sporting events have no exemptions. Journalists have no exemptions. And vaccine status, uh, according to the German Interior Ministry, um, has no exemptions for that. So please... Um, 
please check very carefully before you make any plans because it is punitive fines. I think it's 10,000 euros um, if you get caught out and there will be forms to fill in when you check in at hotels and things like that. So please be very careful uh, about that. Although, of course, you don't have to go there because we've got full coverage live in Sound and Vision across mm. That weekend uh, is that the end of the sports cars? Tim? That's the end of the sports cars. Uh, Have you got some news about other programs? We switched to two wheels before our news okay. on other programs. All right. And Nick Damon is uh, with us to talk about the opening rounds of the World Superbike Championship. And where were they, Nick? But also known as, also known as, never listen to Nickel Declan's predictions. Um, well, in fairness. Um, in much the same way as the uh, MotoGP at uh, at Le Mans was weather affected, the rail in Spain fell mainly on um, world superbikes. This yeah, I mean, was, I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was a very, it was a, it was a great kickoff. Uh, Johnny Ray back on form, winning the first two races of the main race on on Saturday and the sprint race on Sunday morning again. It was damp and drizzly, unpleasant, some rain coming and going. The, the, the interesting thing was the form of his teammate, Alex Lowe's, who I wrote off and said wouldn't get on the podium all year, got three podiums this weekend. That went well. Uh, the top rack, um, wrestling Loku, he uh, had a kind of an anonymous weekend after some problems in qualifying, which put the back, and he's already a few points off. And Scott Redding was having a nightmare after two poor tyre choices in the first two rounds and then pulled it out of the bag by going for a slick tyre choice in Brave. race two on a drying circuit and romping away and winning. Um, yeah, that was so brave, and he rode really well for good. the first, no, what, half a dozen laps. In, Redding yeah. redemption. Top rack, well, Raz Gaglioglu robbed, because don't forget, he should have been at the sharp end of the field, but he got docked, what was it, five grid paces Tight, for, yeah. for touching the green Oh, it's down silly. the straight, it's, it's down the it's long a, yeah, straight. He, he got done for track limits on the straight. It's like, oh, anyway, but it's a mistake. It's, you know, I, and, I, and I understand that, but common but, sense, um, really. You know, BMW actually looked less rubbish than they had in the last couple of years. They had a good, strong result on uh, the slightly drier day on Sunday with both Vandermark and uh, uh, Tom Sykes in the top six or top five, I think, actually. They, they really looked pretty good. Garrett Gerloff looked really quite like he was pushing on from last year. Mm. He made a really silly mistake in the second race and nearly took out Jonathan Ray, uh, which he apologised for. A little bit disappointed that Locatelli didn't do anything. He just kind of, but he's got to work his way into the new championship. I thought he might have really turned up with a bang. Um, but yes, the, I suppose you're absolutely right, John. The problem was we didn't get a proper dry race no. at all. So it's... Nice start for Kawasaki. Certainly, the team the team championships are nice. Come for what twelve point lead in the in the riders championship. So, yeah, and Jonathan Ray has got his hundredth win, so, and, and his hundred and first because the, yeah, the Super Pole win counts as I'm well. I'm sure he'll I'm sure he'll like to get a few more, so he'll get a hundred wins without the Super Pole ones. Uh, I I I thought uh, first of all, I need to go to Aragon. Uh, we need to go on our bikes to Aragon and to Navarra as well. Um, we've been to Navarra to watch cars, and I, I need to go there on my bike because the roads around there were mega. But I need to go to Aragon. And why do more cars not go there? I know touring, world touring cars do. It's just a great, great track. Um, Johnny Ray thinking, clearly thinking championship again already. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Thoroughly enjoyed it all over the weekend. And, of course, we've got double duty this weekend with MotoGP and World Superbike. 
Yep, it's a it's a two wheel fest over this weekend. Uh, Magello for MotoGP. Fabio Quattararo goes in with a scant one point lead against uh, Francesco Bainaya. Uh, Pecco in second on the Ducati ahead of uh, what another eleven points back. Juan Zarco so Yamaha. Um, Ducati Ducati and Jack Miller in third position. And, and as far as MotoGP is concerned, the least ex- uh, surprising news uh, at all uh, at broke this week. Yes. And I think we weren't we talking yeah. about this recently. Yeah, they, they only had an initial one year contract with Jack Miller, the official team Ducati. And after he won the last two races, surprised they've, they've, they've signed their option to have him for next year as well. That's very odd. Yes, but why wouldn't they? Because he is well, rather good. But he's doing all right at the moment, yeah. Let's see how he pushes on. Uh, Michello, who's circa to start this weekend for MotoGP? Well, it was Valentino's, then it was Renzo's, and then it was Mar- Marquez, and none of them's going to win, so uh, it should be exciting to watch. It's, Unless it um, rains again. I still don't think... I, 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 no, I think it's... Uh, there, are, there are better wet-weather people than, uh, than a hobbled Mark Marquez. Vinales got to find some form this weekend? He's got to find his head again. Yeah, that's, that's the problem with Vinales. Vinales is fast enough. Vinales was... It was great until it started to rain um, in Le Mans. Yeah, I mean, I think I think most GP is wide open again. Um, I, you know, it's got a nice long straight Mugello with a fast entry, so the top speed of the Ducatis is going to be really, really important because they, they sweep downhill into that, that, that breaking first corner. Um, the best race bike is definitely the Yamaha, but whether they can overcome the disadvantage down the straight, they have to get ahead and break the toe. And then you'd say Pro Quattararo's got a pretty good chance. It'd be interesting to see if we get any movement forward as a team from KTM, who've looked mm. completely out of sorts, and whether Marquez's recovery is extending to starting to try and sort the bike out, because he's got a double problem. He's got a physical problem getting fit. He's not allowed to do much in between the races. And the second problem is the bike he's picking up is is, is the shadow of the bike he put down in uh, in Jerez a year ago. Mm. Uh, the World Superbikes, by the way, is at Estoril, Estoril this weekend. So Portugal, but actually one of the... Uh, traditional uh, circuits across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And I haven't seen what we saw in the three opening races. I'll I, I stick a pin in any of those, to be honest, uh, Nick. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, it's, it's wide open and you, you go to each track and you, um, you know, it was, it was, it was the season ending, wasn't it, last year, Estoril? So it didn't go particularly well for, for Johnny Ray and it was, a, it was a good race for Yamaha. So... Let's see if it spins around again and, and Top Rack can make up the points he lost. We can have a, you know, a very close three-way fight. And let's hope that BMW's form continues. Yeah, don't disagree as we are. Uh, but are you, you're back to BMW now as well, aren't you? Yes, of course you are. Yes, I am. Um, about time you got that MOT back on the road. It's booked it today. Ah, excellent. Well done. Excellent <laughs> stuff. Uh, we've got 10 minutes left on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Indy 500 preview. Share dashing between venues at the moment to get back with... Uh, me and Jeremy for that at 10 o'clock UK. That's 10 minutes time. Uh, time to catch up with what's happening tomorrow night with Tim Gray up in London. Uh, well, tomorrow night I'll probably be uh, relaxing and watching TV, actually. <laughs> um, meantime, what will be happening on RS1 without any intervention from you? 
Uh, it will require a lot of intervention from me, sadly. <laughs> uh, but at 8 <laughs> o'clock, it's the Simcast. And this week, it's Lewis and Ben doing the show. And they're going to be talking about the launch of SRX The Game. Uh, there's new content for Race Room and Dirt 5. Plus, I'll have their weekly eSports roundup. And then following that, at 9 o'clock? Is on the grid, uh, where Tony Shebeki, Richard Crail and... I'm going to say Mark. Yeah, okay. What what did it say on that bit of uh, information you sent me earlier? Mark Walker. Mark Walker. Is, yeah. is, did it mention Mark Walker? Shebeck's cruelty and Walker talking about yes, everything in the racing there. world. Right. Uh, yeah. They'll be previewing Winton, uh, and uh, they have a Indie-inspired theory for changing Bathurst qualifying, um, really? which they describe as a bit silly. So that's tomorrow night at nine, also on RS1. Now, okay. what do the following drivers have in common? Sebastian Bourdais, Elio Castro Neves. Not French. Connor Daly. Uh, definitely not French. Marcus Ericsson. Part Ryan of the European, yes. Ray, yeah. Ed Jones. Yeah. Tony Canaan. Mm-hmm. Sage Carum. Yeah. Graham Rahal, yeah. Felix Rosenquist, and yeah. Takuma Sato. They're all Honda drivers, aren't they? No. Oh. Uh, they've all... Well, they're all at Indy this weekend. They are, yes. So, there, I win. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I can go home now. I can go card. home. Oh, no. No. Ah. Oh. Uh, give us a clue. Uh, Winnersdrinkmilk.com. None of them drink milk. They're all averse to milk. They would rather drink water. Almond milk. They're lactose intolerant. Well, do you know, they sort that out. They actually sort... And in every one of the 33 drivers... You're, um, you're nearly there, John. Every one of the 33 drivers, for well, I, I know this from talking to drivers in the past, every one of the 33 drivers that start the Indy 500 are asked uh, what, what of type milk of milk they would would drink if they oh, win. Oh, right. So these so have chosen, chosen a certain type. Almond milk. milk. No. Oat milk. 2%. Milky milk. 2% milk. Right, okay. Everyone else has milk. chosen whole milk Semi-skin. with the exception of uh, one driver who went for chocolate milk. Who was that? Uh, who's the youngest? Uh, it's Renis Vika. It's Juan Pablo Montoya. Oh, of course it is. More calories, of obviously. Course More it calories. Is. How is, that, is that chocolate milk wrapped up in a burger? That's fantastically brilliant. That is fantastically <sighs> brilliant. Um, and if you are lactose intolerant, Nick, and that's a good point because there are people who are. Um, there, there is provision made for that. There's no provision for you to drink orange juice or water or spray champagne. That's Who did drink orange juice? Emerson Fittipaldi. Yeah. Yes. Not Absolutely. Yeah. Some sort of sponsorship deal. Yeah. Um, so you can have almond milk, you can have soya milk, you can have Butter coconut milk. milk, buttermilk, yeah. Bought some buttermilk yesterday, so Eve can make some buttermilk pancakes later on this week, which I'm looking forward to. I um, bought some so condensed milk so I can make some ice cream. <sighs> Condensed, condensed, condensed milk sponge cake is one of life's great wonders. Mm. 
Anyway, so milk was the answer then. Milk obviously. was the answer. Two percent uh, milk. Who's going to drink it, or do you ask? The, or are you going to ask that question later? And uh, let's find out who Nick's going to thinks is going to drink the milk. Who's going to drink? Uh, the milk? Who's drink the milk? I am going to put my money on. I'm going to say Scott Dixon, um, just so Peter McKay will stop me, uh, let me off for what I said about six weeks ago. Um, the problem Does is no this one, year. No one agree with Nick. Um, the problem is this year. I think, and I'll I'll bow to what Shane Jeremy say in about six minutes' time when we start off that that Indy 500 preview. But I think it's a pretty deep field, and when you've got people on the back row like uh, Will to Power, um, then uh, you know, honestly he could come through from there. And and there, I think there is there's at least one driver on every row of the eleven rows um, that could win the race, that literally could win the race. So I'm 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 very interested to hear what Jeremy and Shea say tonight. Uh, Nick, we're going to quickly go back to Monaco. Draw. Let's talk about the uh, Porsche Mobile Line Super Cup. Go on then, because this will be, a, this will be a, mono, a monologue by you, but keep going. Uh, new car well, this year, it. of course. Oh, yes. Yes, it's a new Porsche. And uh, <laughs> what what attributes do you want on a new car uh, that would make it a better race around Monaco? Uh, how about no aero, no grip, and much narrower? Yes. Uh, and what attributes <laughs> does the new Porsche 911 992 have? More grip, more power, much wider. Much wider. How much overtaking was there in the uh, Porsche Super Cup, Mobile Line Super Cup race around Monaco on Sunday morning? I'm going for none. I saw one, I think maybe two overtakes. Mm. If you don't count, if you don't count people passing people who were in the guardrail. Yes. They do count in some classes. I'm not counting an overtake if the car that you're passing is on its side. Trust me, I'm. I'm gonna. If I'm the man doing the passing, I'm counting that as an overtake. Too right, I'm counting that. Yeah, I'm, I'm counting, counting that every time, there every were, day of the week. There were a couple. There were a couple of other overtakes. Uh, one of the BWP, one of the BWT cars that started way at the back, um, Dylan Pereira, fought his way up and actually did make a couple of overtakes. Not that we saw them, but but other than that, um, Larry Tenforda did what Larry Tenforda was expected to do, and drove away. From pole position, um, and uh, Ianchen Guven. Did we ever find out what happened to him on the final lap? No, he he didn't have a good weekend, Chan. Uh, in fairness, um, Porsche junior driver didn't qualify very well, and then he literally disappeared on the final lap and and dropped way back, didn't he? Well, he didn't disappear. He slowed um, at uh, Anthony Noge and got slow and slow and. Uh, rolled over the line to start a final lap, and I don't think he got to uh, Sandovot. No, but but because because of Tenvorda's pace, and it was it was reduced as well. He, he did drop some paces, and I think he dropped. I think he dropped out the points. But to be honest, I was watching the front of the field um, by then, and again, didn't see much of it. Um, two good races in the Porsche Carrera Cup Asia from. Juhai at the weekend, which I enjoyed being part of, and the uh, audio 
for the first four rounds of that will be posted shortly on uh, oh. uh, radio-show.co.uk and they will put the links up to the video as well. Uh, right, coming to the end of the show now, and I'm afraid uh, we started on a sad note and we're going to um, finish on one as well. Um, we'll talk about uh, this with Jeremy and Shea as well in the uh, indie programme because it's uh, uh, appropriate. But um, a, a very untimely death, Tim, in the IndyCar ranks in the last few days. Yes, Andre Ribeiro uh, died on Saturday at the age of 55. He'd been suffering from bowel cancer. Uh, a regular winner in kart racing in his native Brazil. Uh, he headed to Europe to compete in the 1990 Formula Opel Championship before moving to the British Formula 3 Championship with Paul Stewart Racing. Uh, his best result was a seventh in the F3 Masters at Zandvoort. Uh in his first season uh, and then in the second season he was beaten by uh, his teammates who went on to win the title, one Gilles de Ferran but he did score his first podium and pole position at Silverstone that year uh, finished fifth in the following season after moving to Fortec and then moved to the United States entering Indy Lights with Tasman Motorsports alongside Steve Robertson who beat Ribeiro to the title uh, but Ribeiro still impressed with four poles, four wins and the runner-up spot. That earned him a ride in IndyCar in 1995 uh, with Honda. Uh, and despite the poor reliability from that engine, he finished fourth at Road America. Then at uh, New Hampshire took pole position and got Honda's first IndyCar victory. Um, couple uh, of other obituaries I'm afraid did you ever work with Thomas uh, Bonacarrera uh, the the I mean legendary cameraman Nick when you were in F1 no I didn't no I worked with him on WEC Smash and Blow and I know Ben Constantinus worked with him on World Touring Cars as well um, sadly hearing that uh, he died earlier this week uh, as well a big character loved his motorsport loved all motorsport on and off road did WRC uh, as well, Tom Bon or um, uh, uh, Mr. Good Race, of course, um, as he was known around the paddocks, always had a smile on his face, always had a word for people. Um, and, you know, what camera operators are like, Nick, Rain Hill, Snowshine <laughs> or SH1T, they're out there doing their job. And uh, and, then they, and then they find the bell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> top, top bloke and will be much, much missed. Uh, and finally tonight, to wrap up, uh, in a world where we've been talking about big stars and big names, uh, you know, Max Mosley, we started off tonight. Uh, Ray Allen, um, who was described as people who raced against him as a brilliant talent who never made it into the limelight. He won the first ever Formula Ford race on the 2nd of July, 1967. Yes, that long ago. And was a really well-known part of the Formula Ford community uh, until his death last week and we pass on our condolences and of course our best wishes to the family of everyone we've spoken to about tonight uh, in the motorsport community the simple fact is that as well as what we might call normal friends and family those people who are part of motorsport paddock have made an impact on far more people uh, than perhaps even 
they and their family realise. So we pass on all of our best wishes uh, to those who are grieving for lost ones tonight. It's the end of Midweek Motorsport. Stay tuned. We've got the Indy 500 preview. Top shows tomorrow with Simcast, Krilzy, Shebex, Walker, Mark Walker and the team as well. That's all tomorrow. And please tune in from 8 o'clock on RS1. Tim Gray was up in London, our executive producer, producing executively as ever, uh, Nick Damon, Shea Adam, Andrew Marriott, and a special thanks uh, to our big interview guest, the CEO of uh, LMEM, the FIA World Endurance Champions, Frederic Lechmier. Uh, it was great to have him on the show. We'll have him back as well in the near future. Thanks for being with us on a tough week for motorsport. Good night. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.